Welcome to the Restless Hearts Podcast, a podcast dedicated to spiritual reflections and conversations about our journey together as human beings. I am Father Ray DeLugos, an Augustinian friar serving at Merrimack College as the Vice President for Mission and Ministry. In this episode of the Restless Hearts Podcast, I am returning to reflections on the We Believe in You statements of faith that express what God tells us is true of us from the perspective of the one who created us, loves us, and longs to be with us sharing the life he gave us. In this episode, I will share some thoughts about the third We Believe in You statement, which tells us that your body is God's dwelling place in you and among us. To be perfectly honest, when I wrote that statement three years ago, I fully intended it to call us, and especially to call our students, to a greater awareness of the sacredness of our sexuality, and to challenge the idea and the behavior that tells us that our bodies are toys to be played with, that the bodies of others are toys to be used and exploited for our own pleasure and sense of dominance and control, and that sex, rather than being the vehicle by which we give ourselves away to each other in love, as God through Christ has given himself away for us in love, is simply something to be enjoyed for the pleasure it offers, or worse, as a weapon used to humiliate, dominate, and exercise an egregiously false sense of power and competence. That all remains true, although I am not sure that this statement is making much of a dent in the disintegrating experience that sexuality is in our cultural milieu and has probably always been in human experience. However, the more I reflected on the statement, I realized that it is a really hard statement to believe, even without making it about sex and sexuality, no matter how much God believes it about us. It occurs to me that with some possible rare exceptions, we don't want to live in our bodies, and so can't fathom that God could possibly want to live in them. At a rather early age, somewhere between the innocence and freedom of childhood, and adolescence, our bodies become problems for us. They are significant sources of shame, reminding us constantly that we are imperfect, inadequate, and incomplete. While we may look at the bodies of others in reality, or worse, in fantasy, with a sense of awe and appreciation for their beauty and perfection, the vast majority of us, if not all of us, see only what is wrong with our own bodies. They are always too big or too small, too disfigured or too broken, too pale or too pimply, and with noses that are never right. And that is just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to body shame. And sadly, all too often others are willing to help us to shame our bodies with ridicule. And so our bodies become our enemies, placing limits and boundaries on how far or how fast we can go or how much we can do. They betray us by becoming injured and depriving us of the pleasure that we might have experienced from using their full potential to work or to play. As we age, that betrayal becomes the norm and regardless of our age, our bodies are always susceptible to illness, disease, dis disability, and pain. Beyond all of that which happens simply by nature, we often choose or are forced by the demands of our culture and society to turn our bodies into weapons of war and violence, 
allowing them to be disposed of and mutilated in the service of what we are told is a greater good. And it is our bodies that receive the blows and wounds of the violence done to us by others. Furthermore, our bodies have memories of traumas and experiences that our minds have managed to successfully forget, storing in our muscles, bones, and cells a permanent record of life as it should not have been. And of course, it is our bodies that have to die, our bodies that return to the earth as dust. Our physical experiences remind us constantly of the truth of this fact as told to us by the story of our creation in the book of Genesis. So much so that we can easily forget that our creator turned a lump of clay into the living beings that we are by breathing into our bodies, God's own breath and life. And we live only because God lives in us. It may well be that our great spiritual struggle arises from the reality that while God wants to live in us, we would rather live outside of our bodies and therefore want to look for and find our true selves and our true God anywhere but God, where God truly is, in the depths of our own beings, within our own bodies. St. Augustine discovered this and acknowledged that God was within while he was outside of himself and sought God everywhere except within himself. When he was finally able to look within, he found the delight of God living within him far greater and more satisfying than any pleasure he found outside of himself. And so his body, which had, been, which had very much been that which kept him from allowing God to embrace him into wholeness, became the very vehicle by which he discovered God loving him and living within him. Of course, sitting right in the center of God's efforts to live within us and for us to know that is the incarnation itself, the experience of Jesus the Christ, fully human and fully divine, showing us who we truly are as God's dwelling place. The Jesuit science and scientist and philosopher Teilhard de Chardin wrote once with great hope that one day, after harnessing the winds, the waves, the tides, and gravity, we shall harness for God the energy of love, and on that day, for the first time in the history of the world, we will have discovered fire. Well, that day happened in Jesus, who perfectly harnessed in his body the energy of love, the very essence of God, and so showed us what a human being fully aware that God is fully alive within him would be like. Of course, Jesus had the same body we have, and his body took quite a beating from us, and he died as a result. But God's dwelling place can only be a place of life and not death. And so Jesus was risen. We believe as Christians that our bodies and not just our souls are made for eternity, and so are not just disposable containers meant to be recycled by the earth from which they came, but are called to be raised to the fullness of life where we will finally know what being God's dwelling place is all about. So the word was made flesh and dwelt among us to show us what we would be like if we, we knew as he knew that his father lived in him. He made that his prayer for us according to the Gospel of John on the night before he gave his body over to death 
so that the fullness of life could be revealed. When he told us that he is in the Father and the Father is in him, and prayed that we would know the same communion. He told us that if we love him and keep his word, that he and the Father will make their dwelling in us. However, they are already dwelling within us, which is why we are able to love him and keep his word in the first place. We won't know it, of course, if we can't accept that God would ever want to live in a body like mine. St. Paul had a deep and profound awareness of being God's dwelling place. He also called upon those he was forming in the faith to understand that their bodies were not toys for pleasure, but temples of the Holy Spirit, through which we die with Christ in order to live with Christ by loving like Christ. He shared his deep experience of carrying in his body the dying of Christ, and so understood his physical suffering as something to be embraced as sacred and holy rather than despised and avoided. And he had a very profound awareness that he became more and more aware that he was God's dwelling place in himself and among us, that it was no longer he who lived, but Christ who lived in him. Over the past 50 or so years, the church has rediscovered its tradition of being called to contemplative prayer, a kind of prayer that is not meant to be a chore to be accomplished and endured, or an intellectual exercise that clarifies our understanding of God as a concept, or even the experience of giving praise and thanks to God, or making intercession to God on our behalf or on behalf of others. While all of these are fine ways to pray, they do not lead us to the most true awareness that God is not distant from us, needing to be sought outside of ourselves, addressed as though God and we are separate in any way, or that somehow God does not know us and needs us to tell us about God, to tell God about our needs, desires, and longings, even if they are simply the need to acknowledge our dependence and trust in God through praise and thanks. Contemplative prayer begins and ends with believing that God lives in us, has made his dwelling place in us, and not outside of us or apart from us. We live in God and God lives in us, and contemplative prayer invites us to discover just how real and true that is by experiencing it and not just conceiving of it. While there are techniques for engaging in contemplative prayer, they all agree that the more simple and less effortful we engage in its practice, the more satisfying and refreshing it will be. And that's because it is not something we have to make happen. It is something we simply need to let happen because it is already true. The simplicity is just allowing ourselves to be still and know the God who lives in us and loves in us and who wants us to live in that love. If we wait until our bodies are places where we wish to live, we will never have this deep and real experience that is always true, even though we have a really hard time believing it. Thankfully, God is not waiting for us to build a suitable dwelling that can contain God's infinite glory and majesty, because God has already built that in our bodies. God lives in us whether we like it or not, and whether we know or believe it or not. 
God lives in us whatever shape our bodies may be, even if we have neglected and abused them in response to the shame we experience when we look at ourselves. God dwells in every one of us, regardless of whether our bodies are strong or broken, healthy or sick, whole or missing some pieces, young or old, in every gender and orientation we embody. Our choice is not about whether we are willing to have God dwell in us, but rather to let the God who lives on us give directions to the lives we live in these bodies of ours, so that in fact there is no difference between the life I live in my body and the life God lives in me. Regardless of what we think of our bodies and what we do to our bodies when we think they are our enemies rather than the dwelling place of love itself, the fact that love dwells in us means that our bodies are designed, fashioned, formed, and fully meant to be vehicles of love. And that brings me back to where I started this episode and to what I hoped to communicate when I wrote the statement, your body is God's dwelling place in you and among us. Our bodies and the bodies of others are not toys to be played with, nor weapons meant to harm or targets for harm being done to us. They are not for the abuse or exploitation of others, not our enemies that limit us inconveniently, suffer the pain of sickness and injury, and not just lumps of clay that become animated for a little while before returning whence they came. Rather, our bodies are the dwelling places of love itself. And love, while it needs a place to call home, always wants to go out and be shared and not to be diminished in that sharing. And so love itself lives within us and from there wants to be shared generously and freely, to give and to receive fully and completely and forever. And for this reason, these bodies of ours contain the most creative and powerful energy in the universe. Our bodies have at their core the same energy that brought about and continues to bring about life itself. We know that energy as our sexuality and our sexual drive, which is love wanting to be shared, given and received in mutual communion. Human sexuality is the most powerful force in creation with the power to generate life itself, and just as importantly, to be the vehicle by which we give ourselves away in love and service to others and to the whole world in the very same way that God has given God's very self to all of creation. At the same time, sexuality can be the most destructive force in the universe, wreaking havoc in lives when it is misdirected toward anything but our total and mutual self-gift in love. That, of course, is why sex and marriage go together so appropriately and inseparably. For the union and love of two persons mirrors for us how God lives within us so intimately. The ongoing loving sacrifices that spouses freely offer for the sake of each other and the sexual union that symbolizes the fullness of their giving and receiving each other in life and in love are exactly how God is loving us and living in us. It is no coincidence at all, I think, that words that have become for us the most sacred words ever uttered carry the fullness of the truth of fully honest, fully committed sexual love. These are the words Christ spoke on the night before he gave up his life for us. 
to give us himself for all eternity. Namely, this is my body, which is given up for you. After all that, it's still hard to believe that this is really the case. It is really the case that my body is God's dwelling place in me and among you, and that your bodies are that as well. But faith sometimes calls us to act as if it were true until it is. Maybe we should start where Augustine finally found the truth about God and himself. God is within us, but we are outside of ourselves. What if we were to come home, to come inside? Come inside ourselves without shame and find to our delight that God has been living right in the middle of our house all along. Peace and blessings, everyone.